two scriptures this evening. One is not listed in your bulletin. I wanted to have an Old Testament scripture passage. And um, I figured that that would be beneficial for us as we consider the revelation of who God is uh, as the triune one. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. That's our Old Testament passage that's found on page 3 in your Bibles. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then our New Testament scripture passage, Matthew chapter 3. Verses 13 through 17, Pew Bible, page 1,499. This is the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's for the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 8 in the Heidelberg Catechism. It can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 15. And we can read the answers together with one voice. How are these articles divided into three parts? God the Father in our creation, God the Son in our deliverance, God the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. Since there is but one God, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. That's the teaching of the catechism. Will you pray with me? Father, may you bless the preaching of your word tonight. Jesus Christ, may you be more clearly seen. Your, your revelation be opened up for us. Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts that we may understand and know. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Heidelberg Catechism, of course, is part of what we confess and what we believe as a Christian Reformed Church. But we also have the Belgic Confession of Faith. And the Belgic Confession of Faith talks about the triune God in Articles 8 and 9. And Article 9 of the Belgic Confession has these very interesting words, words that are quite intriguing if you ponder them. After discussing and describing that God is one in essence, yet distinguished in three persons, God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Article 9 talks about the proof of this, uh, the proof given to us in the revelation of God and His Word. And it says this, All this we know as well from the testimonies of Holy Writ, or Holy Scripture, as from their operations, and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. Now I find this phrase really interesting. The, article, the, the writer of the Belgic Confession is saying, not only do we know that God is triune by what we have seen in scriptures, but we also know that he is triune by what we experience. What the Belgian Confession is not saying is that our own subjective experience trumps that of the revelation of Scripture. What it is saying, which is deeply important to our confession of faith, what it is that we believe as Christians, what it is that we cling to, is that what we believe is important, of course. But we must never forget that what we believe is inherently personal. That is, that what we believe can never be disconnected from who we believe. That what we believe is all rooted in the who. That these things that we confess are not simply theological abstractions and, and things that we can place in a book and have really nice and neat wording and definitions, but these are speaking about the only God that exists and the God that has become deeply involved in our lives through Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. All this we know as well from the testimonies of Holy Scripture as from their operations, that is the operations, the doings of the three persons of the Holy Trinity and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. What the Belgic Confession is saying is that we by our union with Christ, are united to God. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That what we experience is an experience that is not disconnected from the fact that God is triune. Well, that's, I hope, what we can look at and discuss tonight as we look at Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Simply, our theme this evening is that our faith is in the holy, undivided, triune God. And we're, we're going to look at three points. It's the points that are described for us in Lord's Day 8. The, the Father is Creator, the Son is Redeemer, and the Spirit is Sanctifier. These are uh, descriptions of what is described for us in the Apostles' Creed, but they're also written down in the Belgic Confession. So, a Father... As creator, son as redeemer, and the spirit as sanctifier. Let's look at this. First point here, Father as Creator. When the Belgic Confession talks about us understanding God in their operations, the operations of the persons of the Holy Trinity, the Apostles' Creed wants us to consider the Father as the source of all things, the Creator. Now, the interesting thing about God being one and three is that even though we are typically to consider the operations of the persons and the Father as creator, it is not as if the Father created and the Son didn't and the Spirit didn't. You see what I'm saying? God as creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we are to consider Father as creator. That's why it says the articles of the Apostles' Creed are divided into three parts, God the Father and our creation. And that's why we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's why as we continue in the catechism, it is going to describe for us under the subject or the section of Father as Creator, the providence of God. The creator who is upholding all things, sustaining all things. The father as creator. And that's why partly I read Genesis 1 to us. That that passage in Genesis 1 is is significant. Because it tells us that in a very real sense the revelation of the Trinity is not something that simply occurs only in the New Testament but it's something that's foreshadowed in the old. In the very first pages of Scripture, we see that in verse 26 of Genesis 1, God is speaking in the plural. 
God said, let us. God said, let us. Us is plural terminology. And then later when we're told, so God created man in his image. So we have the oneness and the manyness. Us and his. There, the very first pages of scripture as it describes the creation of the heavens and the earth. God, the Father, and our creation. This is the way in which we are to consider the Father as creator of all things, as maker of the world that we live in and the bodies that we possess. That is the Father as creator. Let's look at a son as redeemer. So it says here in question 24 that this, these articles are divided into three parts. God the Father in our creation, God the Son in our deliverance. And if you look at the Apostles' Creed, it describes the section when we are talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ having come into time and history. Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, descended into the hell, third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That is about our deliverance. That means that we are to consider the entirety of Christ's life, all of his life, as an accomplishment of our salvation. It's so often easy when we think of Christ that what we consider his saving work is simply his dying for us. We short-sighted on that. We focus in on that, his death. Maybe we'll add his resurrection. But all of his life is an accomplishment of our salvation, even his being born of the Virgin Mary. His life, his death, his everything is working towards accomplishment of our salvation. We are to consider the Son as Redeemer, as one who is purchasing for us what we confess to believe in Lord's Day 1. Our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own but belong body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has purchased us. He has accomplished our salvation. He has freed us from the tyranny of the devil. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is our deliverance. The revelation, the accomplishment, the understanding of the triune God occurs in great detail, in the life of Jesus Christ. I was listening recently to a debate between uh, James White, who is a, a Reformed Baptist, and a gentleman who used to be a Mormon, became a Christian, and now has abandoned the Christian faith for Judaism because he believes that um, Christ was a false Messiah. So there was much talk about the Trinity, 
what it means to believe that God is one and three persons. And something that James White did that was very interesting was that he took a Bible and he opened it up to the pages between Malachi and Matthew. That's the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The last pages of the Old Testament and the pages of the New Testament. And he said, if you want to understand where the revelation of the Trinity occurs, why we confess now that we believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as they confessed in the Old Testament, there is one God, one true God, in three persons, Father and Son, Holy Spirit, it occurs here in the pages between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What did he mean by that? He meant that the apostles were experiential Trinitarians. The apostles were The men who wrestled with the revelation of God that was occurring to them. They were Jews who confessed the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yet here before them is Jesus Christ. Claiming to be God, the Son of God. And they wrestled with that experience, what it means. And the church continued to wrestle with that experience for the first few centuries, the early church. And what they came to confess and believe is that our faith is in the holy, undivided, triune God. Because through their experience of Jesus and his resurrection, and through their experience of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit... They realized that yes, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But also, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a bit of trepidation that someone like me feels when they get up here to teach upon something that there have been millennia of conversation and ponder and thought about with never really a full understanding. There's a limitation to what we can confess to know about our holy, undivided, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it is important that we do say what we can say. Because as the writers of the Belgic Confession said, we not only see God revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we experience the triune God in our own lives. And if we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, if we are to have a true and real experience of worshiping who God is, not only what we believe, but who we believe, that we must rightly know and confess that God is... One in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the apostles came to experience 
in their own life, as they pondered even moments as they followed Christ, like his baptism. There's a reason why that passage was read before the sermon. It's one of the places in the scripture where we can find the presence of all three persons of the triune God in one place. So if you have a um, a Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door, or someone who denies the Trinity, this is a good passage, a good place to go to. Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized, and as he is being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the Heavenly Father from heaven says, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The idea of, of finding one scripture that teaches us the doctrine of the Trinity is kind of an exercise in futility. It is all of Scripture that comes together to teach us that this is what we must confess about who God is. In fact, the doctrine of the Trinity is the best place to go to if you want to tell someone the danger in proof texting. Of course, Matthew 3 and the baptism of Jesus is a, a good place to see all three persons of the Holy Trinity present. Matthew 28, where we are told by Jesus to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're here tonight looking at Lord's Day 8. We're told that we are to see in the, the difference in the operations of the persons of the Holy Trinity as described in the Apostles' Creed that God the Father is our creator. The Son is our redeemer. The one who has purchased for us salvation. And lastly, that the Spirit is our sanctifier. The Holy Spirit in our sanctification. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. What's interesting about those words in the Apostles' Creed is that you wouldn't really consider those to be words describing sanctification. Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. What those are describing is what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in uniting all God's people together in one and bringing them the forgiveness of sins which Christ has purchased with his blood. And between the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of our bodies is the act of purifying us. With the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which we're told later in the catechism, happens only in part in this life, but is brought to its fullness, its consummation at the end of the age, when our bodies are resurrected and we live upon the world that will have no end, the life everlasting. 
the Spirit as sanctifier. There are many scripture passages we could go to that talk about the Spirit's work in the lives of believers. One is in the Gospel of John, and Jesus says that I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter. I'm going to send the Spirit who is going to convict the world of sin and remind you of the things that I have spoken to you, that I have taught you. The Spirit's work is in bringing and applying the work of Christ to the lives and hearts of the believers. That is to say, that the personal way in which we experience the triune God in reality occurs through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're told in these very interesting words in the letter that John wrote to the church, 1 John, of the fellowship that we are called to. And John says it like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now John is saying to this church, what we have witnessed, what we have seen with our own eyes is the revelation of the triune God and the coming of the word of God made flesh and in the indwelling of our Holy Spirit that, that it dwells within us now. And what we have come to make known to you is that we have fellowship with the triune God. And we desire that you would have fellowship with us as well. It's a profound and wonderful thing to understand and know who God is, not only as revealed to us in his word throughout the scriptures, but also that which we experience in our own lives. Question 25 has a great question for us. Since there is but one God, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And we're told because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true, eternal God. Now in a very real way, I feel like no matter how many times I teach and the triune nature of God, I will come falling short of explaining it. And that's why it's kind of a, uh, an attempt to um, deter away from any error that I may have expressed tonight. I'd like to read for you the words of Article 8 in the Belgic Confession, which talks about this. Because I think it's important that we have written phrases that we can hold on to that help us understand this God that we have our faith in, that we believe in, that we hope in, so that our worship can be rightly oriented, not only by what we believe, but 
who we believe. Article 8 of the Belgic Confession says, According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in one only God, who is the one single essence in which are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties. Namely, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. Or, as we talked about tonight, the Father as creator. The Son is the word, wisdom, and image of the Father. Or, as we talked about tonight, the Son as redeemer. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Or as we talked about tonight, the Spirit is sanctifier. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three. Since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have each his personality distinguished by their properties. But in such wise that these three persons are but one only God. Not three, but one. Hence then it is evident that the Father is not the Son nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. There is distinction without division is what the article is describing here. Nevertheless, these persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed. For the Father has not taken on flesh like the Son, nor has the Holy Spirit but the Son only. And the Father has never been without His Son or without His Holy Spirit. For they are all three co-eternal and co-essential There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one in truth, in power, in goodness, and in mercy. Now, I don't fully understand all this, and I'm not going to hold it against you if you don't. Herman Boving once said that mystery is the lifeblood of theology. We're not called to understand What is eternal? What is beyond our finite capabilities? But we are called to rightly confess and believe what God has revealed to us in His Word and in our own lives. And that is that this God that we worship, that we adore, that we love, the God that all of our worship is directed toward, all our life is directed toward, is the holy, undivided, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that if we do that, if we keep within our minds and keep within our hearts this truth, this revelation, that it will rightly order our devotion. It will rightly order our worship, our heart, toward the God who has revealed himself as the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier of his people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your revelation. We thank you that it is endless in what we can continue to go back to over and over as we strive to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us, Lord, 
to know who you are. And by knowing who you are, know ourselves. That we may come to adore you for the salvation that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.